0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Neil and Robbie podcast. I'm Neil and I am joined as always by Robbie. Robbie, how are you? I'm really good. I'm very
1: good, Neil. I'm excited about Transcontinental coming up in like, what is it, six weeks now? So that's exciting. Uh, Life has taken a steady turn to being very good. Training is back in form. My knee is better again. And um, yeah, everything's just spot on, mate. I'm just loving life at the minute.
0: How Uh, are you? Uh, Could this have something to do with the fact that your girlfriend turned down an opportunity to go on Love Island because she found love with (laughs) you, the uh, champion cyclist, I believe the newspaper referred to you as?
1: Yeah, so there was an article. So this is actually a bit of a long story, but Literally, the long story cut short is that they said to her, talking to her about her business, what she does, which is like hair extensions, and they make these special kinds. And basically, this this media company, I'm not even, I don't want to give them shares. Asked them a few questions about the business, then they they'd heard a rumor that she had been offered to go on Love Island, which is something. But because she'd started seeing me, she didn't and yeah, so it got made into an article and it's a little bit cringe worthy but it's funny
0: so yeah so that is why i'm so happy <laughs> we will put a link to that in the show notes so you can all read not. about robbie's love life <laughs> yeah, We can. um so are you I, I i'm intrigued so you say your 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 missus works for works in a hair extension company
1: yeah well, she owns it actually her and her, her mum and her sister own it, which is quite cool. and I know what you're thinking. Am I wearing hair extensions um no i'm I'm not
0: no no i was I was thinking better than that. I was thinking, are they going to do a uh, a riding with Robbie range of hair extensions so we can all come in and have hair that looks like yours <laughs> yes they they should i mean look, you know me i've got I've got no hair, so I could go for any hairstyle I wish. Or do they need? Does there need to be a certain amount of hair for them to attach the hair extensions to?
1: I don't honestly know. I think they do them without needing to attach to hair, but they, they. It's quite interesting because I said to um, Briny, like as a joke, I was like, oh, I'll put get secret hair put on like my jersey for TTR or something, and she was like, well, then everyone thinks you're gonna have hair extensions in, and I was like, ah, oh, good point, you know. So, but yeah, I think you can attach straight on. I don't know I will ask her but I think they should do a
0: champion cyclist race I need to uh, I need to have a chat with Bryony I need a consultation around what can be done with my sadly middle-aged male pattern baldness that's going on imagine if we had
1: what if we had the same hairdo how cool would that be and then we were racing as a team as well
0: Robbie the only way that's going to happen is if you shave your head (laughs) no I think we should
1: we can make it work. Like, all points north next year, that's one pairs race. I'm planning to beat you in TCR, so that'll be another pairs race you owe me, which I'm thinking
0: Japanese Odyssey, yes. Oh, I've just suggested, I've just suggested that to Laura.
1: Oh, how amazing would that be? It looks incredible.
0: I think it, I think it would be absolutely awesome. I,
1: I have that. I'm not going to lie. The two that I really want next year are the Trans Am Bike Race and the Japanese Odyssey they are the two, and probably the race around Netherlands, because it's just a good season opener. So yeah, so they're kind of the two, three I'm thinking about next year, but I don't know. Um, there's a lot of interesting things going on. I sent you that link about the race around the world.
0: Yeah, I saw that, and a very, really interesting roster that they've signed up already.
1: Yeah, it, it is, but I, did you see the comment from <laughs> Jonas? Jonas?
0: Jonas. D- Jonas dijon Jonas
1: so he's got a very good point there. And I, I was sitting there thinking, wow, this is exciting. And I showed it to Brian and she's like, what are your thoughts? Because this is something that I've always wanted to do, go around the world. And then I read Jonas's um, comment and he's like, well, if they're following Mark Beaumont's route, and that's probably the only way you're going to get in less than 80 days, then you've got the problem of on you're on some real crappy roads. You haven't got a car covering you, you know, for like... for safety you you know your stops are less in between you're going through Russia and it just kind of got open to the point of actually how much are you going to enjoy this trip around the world if you're trying to race and you're just using the quickest way possible by far the most un way and I thought well actually that's a good point if you're kind of spending that money to go to race around the world it'd be great to say oh I race around the world and I won or whatever but you know, one thing is you're not really gonna see much of what you wanna see and two is a is a safety thing. So it made me really think of that actually if I was gonna race around it I would probably be picking my own route instead of following the Mark Beaumont one. Then I think that would be the most incredible race ever. But honestly I at this point in my life, I don't think that's free feasible right now. And I, I don't really want to be away from Briny and, you know, my my business is being a a pt and the job i have for for that duration but what are your thoughts
0: yeah i mean it it looks really interesting and he they've clearly signed up some some good riders already some really good races so i think it it could be quite a an interesting race like proper race um there's no way i could take well i mean it's going to take a hundred hundred and twenty days out. So what's that? You know, that's four months. Um to take four months out of your life, um is is one thing if you're in a if you're in a job where you can take a career break, but um you know, running my own business, then there's no way I could do that without kind of killing my business and probably my marriage. So um <clears throat> I shall watch with interest, uh, but probably not beyond the start line. Um but then you know there are loads of other very interesting things uh lined up for uh for next year uh potentially lined up for next year
1: i always think though like when you put racing aside like we love to go and ride our bikes and you know a couple of weeks is a really nice kind of big ride but anything over that you start to think about what you would be leaving behind what you would be missing and i i couldn't imagine like let's say you did it in the 80 days, I can not imagine 80 days without, without, you know, briny, without going to work, without that social side of things. I think that would, mentally, I don't think I'd be able to handle it, if I'm brutally honest with you. Like, I really know what I love about my racing is in two weeks I'm pretty much nearly done and I have a great time, I get my, you know, I I love my head being in that place, but 80 days, that... (laughs) That takes character. That takes character in people in very special life circumstances to be on that start line.
0: So Jenny Graham has just gone round the world self-supported and I think it took her 120 days. It'd be interesting to look at what what route she took.
1: Do you know, I I actually really enjoyed following her journey and there was a few things I noticed. um, I'm not sure how true this is, but it was just... It was a very heartfelt way round. You know, she came up to a lot of extremities. She really wanted it. You know, she I'd never really heard of her before she did this. And then, boom, just out of nowhere. Going around the world, 120 days. You know, she got a certificate the other day. and Mark Beaumont went out to meet her. And that was just... That was a really nice moment. And she's been giving lots of talks. And it's, it's actually quite nice to see that everything after her going around the world, all the stuff she's doing to inspire if that makes sense i know that sounds a bit cheesy but you can see on her her social media she's giving talks all the time she's at these interesting races i'm like well actually what what she's gained from that she's really sharing out to everyone else so i was quite impressed at that if i'm brutally honest Neil.
0: i'm pretty sure i read somewhere she's doing tcr this year
1: i'm out i don't want to do it if she isn't
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm kidding because she will kick your ass robbie
1: no and mine i'm i'm with I'm winning it. That's that's the plan. <laughs> Not do believe and achieve. Not joking like that. No, sorry, I shouldn't. Um, I shouldn't say that. But yeah, no, I, I want to do well. But yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting to see her. But you know, she's a phenomenal rider, and imagine how good a rider she's going to be across Europe if she's been around the world. That's insane. I think she's going to destroy it. So yeah, but I'm. i honestly, we talk of TCR and things like that. I'd just be happy to be in the top 10%. That's that's kind of where I'm aiming for.
0: That's still quite aggressive. That's like top 26. It is, yeah. That is the plan. That is the plan. Like, I think top, top 26, you're going to need to finish
1: in, what, 11 days? Yep. So my, my thoughts were, in the past four races, I think, I've been in the top 10% or top 10. So my plan is, I want to stay in that top 10% of riders and for me that's got to be in the top 26 so that is believe achieve succeed i want to come up with some really motivational quote for this but that's where i'm
0: that's where i will be and robbie is available for motivational speeches at your local office or gym <laughs> or right. something like that <laughs> um well we will get on to the transcontinental later on in this episode because this is the transcontinental episode um should we should we do some news first Yes, let's do the news. Let's do the news. I'm excited about this news. It's been really interesting in the last week since we last spoke. And we have to kick off with Transatlantic Way.
1: (laughs) Okay, so um, we got it wrong. So we were talking about, oh, Dan Harty is like 80k from the finish. He's going to win all this year. 6k later. um, So Adrian O'Sullivan and the team, this is how I think it went down, pulled him out because he had you know, the first kind of part of uh, Sherman's neck, Sherman's neck, Sherman, (laughs) Sherman's neck. So they, they pulled them out and they said, look, you know, it's a bit too dangerous for you to go on. You know, we want you to return home to your family, all this. So you've done an amazing ride. You know, you should be so proud of yourself, but we think it's time for you to back off. And everyone said, yep, agreed. You know, it's not, not safe. So he's going to come out. So after that, It was Matt Stewart that went on to win, uh, followed by uh, Stephen Abraham and then Jason Black. So well done to all the riders in that race. But most importantly, and
0: we need to give a special shout out to your friend, my friend Paul. Who's who's my friend Paul? Okay, this is this is getting English names wrong. Rob, sorry,
1: Robbie. I don't know. Where did Paul come from? Rob, Rob. (laughs) Rob Peckham, yes. (laughs) So yeah, Rob. Rob just finished as well. I was watching that.
0: Rob. Rob Packham had a had a great result, and I I can't wait until they do age categories in this thing because he is going to rock the over seventies category. Yeah, he's just incredible.
1: He does not look over seventy though. To be fair, like dues to him, but yeah, no,
0: no. he doesn't ride like he's over seventy. No, he's
1: really good. God, I can't believe that. Like I've met Rob, I did not realise. Jesus.
0: I think he might be but, 69 at the moment but clearly he's going to be in the over 70 category. Yes, that's true. Soon. Um yeah, I mean I saw I saw the uh some of the kind of social media comments from Dan after after he was uh kind of pulled out and it was a very um really good response to that. He said, you know, safety always has to come first. Uh the, the team absolutely made the right decision and and that's got to be one of the hardest things to deal with. I mean, you're so close to the finish line. You're probably what three hours from the finish, um, and to get pulled out for for Sherman's neck. Oh, it's so tough. But you know, you you never know if you're suddenly your neck's going to go, and the next thing you know, you've crashed into into an oncoming car or something. Um, so you know. But st- I, I think great ride from him, and I, I know he'll go away and come back stronger after this. Uh, congratulations to Matt. And to Steve, and to Jason. I mean, Jason, this came so close on the back of um, uh, Biking Man Laos, uh, which must have taken an awful lot out of him. So I think to go from there to t- to transatlantic way and to come third in his his home race was was a fantastic result. But it was just good fun watching.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it was. I really enjoyed it. But um, yeah, I I really I think it was just such a. I think Dan really understood. And and Adrian really understands the ethos of it is about safety. There's no prizes, so it really in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter who gets to the end first. It would be better that everyone just gets to the end in one piece that's that's it. like you never make bad calls like I heard like i'm I'm just gonna say this, but I've heard like people racing and then. Losing one of their brakes, and then the other brake pads are really low, and they can barely stop. And you sit there thinking, "Wow, like, why would you carry on?" You know, you'd get it fixed or you get it sorted. And you, you do get some people in in circles. Like, I don't mean this in a nasty way, that are just willing to take some really big risks. But I've never really been that person. If something's really unsafe, then I'll just kind of back off from it. And I'm glad. I was really glad to see that because I thought, oh. Um, there's not everyone's as cutthroat as some. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so moving on from Transatlantic Way, um, we we have a winner in the Transamerica bike race, um, which we, we have only one finisher so far. Everybody else is still out on the road. Um, yeah, what an incredible performance from Abdullah. I know, like, I, I have to say this.
1: So in the notes I've put here, he's just killed it. 10 hours off the old like normal bike record so he beat it by 10 hours uh followed closely by Keith Moracle who was 600 miles behind 600 miles when he finished how mad is that that's 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 not following closely that is not <laughs> that is that's insane but like honestly what what a great guy like i'm so i can't believe how Well, he's done, but you can tell that's that is just brains and brawn full stop all over. That is everything, like, he has literally just said, Okay, I reckon he had planned everything to an absolute T. I really do. And you said to me the other day, He slept 10 times bloody heck over 16 days, slept 10 times. That means he's probably had to go through the night like four times, five times, you know. I
0: think it was it not 13 days, something need to go and double check his exact finishing time but yeah i i think he in 13 and a bit elapsed days he slept 10 times and probably each time he's sleeping for four hours so yeah i mean he's gone through the night on more than one occasion which is really that's insane that's just silly that there are some people who can do that and the rest of us mere mortals um speaking of people who can do that the tour divide
1: oh yes
0: yes um
1: oh actually can i just we have our winner 16 days 9 hours 56 minutes abdullah
0: wow and he only slept 10 times that's amazing insane absolutely insane um oh just before we before we do come off that i've uh, <clears throat> oh it was on i can't remember if it was on facebook or instagram uh, omar de felice posted um, uh, a post saying today was rest day, and his rest day he covered two hundred kilometers.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did notice. Um, he's been he was put he put a post on saying, "How can I do these race? Like he goes, I'm doing my best to do these races and get loads of footage and pictures so I can share the experiences with everyone." And I'm like, this is a guy in one of the toughest races, like in the world going across America and he's like I want to make sure I can share it with everyone and he's in third and he's just killing it and, I, and he's sitting there making videos while he's on the bike and stuff like not while he's on the bike but while he's on the ride and I'm like Omar you animal but yeah really impressed at that he's holding third quite happily and he's making content for people to share the experience <laughs> like legend absolute legend so yeah. Tour Divide?
0: Uh, yeah, Tour Divide. People who can ride without sleep. And Sofyan definitely fits into this category of people who can ride without sleep for long periods of time. Um, he is he is really taking the fight to the Tour Divide. He, I think currently he's about 1200 miles in. He went the first uh, 55 hours without sleep. I've been I've been following the uh, the tour divide hints and tips Facebook page and half the people on there are like going I'm, I'm a, how can how can somebody do this um, you know having having raced with Sofiane, having seen how he raced at Italy divide he knows how to do this he knows how to ride with very little sleep um, but the best thing about it is he looks to be having so much fun like all of his all of his photos he's he's taking time to post on Instagram and on Facebook um the best the best one ever was a post he put the other day going, um, every time I keep turning around, hoping I'm not going to see James Hayden behind me, <laughs> which was just, which was fantastic.
1: Oh, what a legend. I, I must admit, I'm really enjoying following it. And did, did you see that picture of um, Josh Ibbott? We have to talk about this picture because it is the best picture I've ever seen of anyone ever doing a bike packing race.
0: Is this the one where he's racing past... A load of uh let's call it the local population who are uh a little bit supersized downing yep, tins of smoking beer, smoking cigarettes. cigarettes, and Josh is there <laughs> in full on skinny race mode, and Josh is a skinny <laughs> runt uh racing past yeah, on his bike, and he is just
1: flying past. <laughs> That is so funny. I looked at it and I was like... And someone put a caption. Someone shared the photo. This is where I saw it. Just put a caption saying, we all make choices in life. And I'm like, actually, hats off. You've got this one guy racing, like, from the top of America to the bottom. And then you've just got some people smoking cigarettes, you know, like, (laughs) by the side of a lake, drinking beer. And it was just like, actually, that's a really cool photo. But even Josh commented saying... I I remember like bits of this or something, but he goes. I didn't realise it was going to be such a good picture. But yeah, it must. You must look. I'll put it in the show notes. Actually, it's it's worth a look.
0: Yeah, do it is a great picture, and and I think Josh is he. Josh again seems to be really enjoying his ride. I, I think he posted yesterday evening saying, "I you know I want to enjoy this," um, which means I am going to be sleeping six hours a night instead of four four hours a night. Um, but even you know even on getting more sleep, he's still up there being super competitive you know he's he's holding that there's kind of Sofiane in the lead who's being chased hard now by Josh Cato who's a previous winner um, and then there's kind of a bunch um, so Steve Halligan, Nate Grinston, Lael Wilcox Chris Seistrup uh, Josh, Kai Edel and Evan Deutsch who are all kind of in this chasing pack uh, keeping the pressure on those front two so you know hats off to Josh keeping it uh Keeping it going up there with that that chase pack, even on a whole six-hour sleeper night, and I'm sure he'll come back with some awesome photos and videos.
1: Yeah, that is very true. Oh, sorry, I was just looking at the um, I was just looking at the actual tracker now, and it seems that I don't know how this has happened, but you've got Sofiane up front, and then it says there's someone next to him. I'm not sure who that is.
0: Um, I'm gonna have to go and have a look now. Randy.
1: Yeah, have a quick look because that's weird. It says Randy Neal. Sorry, <laughs> I'm <I know>. sorry.
0: <laughs> I'm yeah, I
1: know. Sorry, like yeah, you'll have a look. Like that's a bit weird. This is a cycling podcast. I know. Like this is. I feel a bit awkward in saying that. Like you might have to cut that one out. But anyway, um, now
0: what were we saying earlier before the show started?
1: Podcast gold. Yes. Don't don't write things down in notes that you don't intend on saying. <laughs> okay that's right yes um, actually while, while you're having a quick look um, the race across America I have to put a big apology out because I've moaned about how bad their social media's been for for years and like how it's been quite tough to follow it and this year it's great loads of videos loads of pictures loads of updates I feel really bad in doing the podcast it getting released a few days after when there's been really good social media and then um, now I'm but now I'm withdrawing my statement, saying that the last few years haven't been amazing. But this one is is, is really good. And um, Mr. Strasser, Stefan Strasser, he um he's won in eight days, four hours, I think. Sixth win ever.
0: Which makes him the outright record holder.
1: Yes, yeah, he is the outright record holder. Um, but I think he's done it in a quicker time before. I think he was taking it easy this time. Just to casually get across America in eight days. But yeah, um, yeah, he's just an animal. Really like it. But really good content from them. I think they did a little YouTube documentary thing about it as well. So I'm looking forward to watching that. But I haven't really, haven't really thought about it yet. I've been too interested in following the other races, to be brutally honest. And easiest way to follow them, to get all this information is dot watcher cc so yet again thank you for the guys there who are giving all these really cool updates and really cool pictures on their website and giving all the times and that's made our life very easy so definitely worth going to look at theirs if you want to get all the top information on what's going on
0: cool yeah, yeah i've i've been reading their kind of daily summary of tour divide and it's been excellent really interesting to get and i think a, a lot of racers could learn from how they're doing that because it was a really good summary of you know top to bottom what's happening in the field how's the race going one of the biggest challenges of this kind of racing is how do you bring it to the audience how do you get the people who are following the people who are tracking dot watching whatever how do you tell them the story of the race um and i thought that was uh, that was excellent um i think the other thing for me about tour divide is this is way much more than a race. It's almost a little bit like a a rite of passage for people. Um, front to back, There's, a, I mean, there's a massive spread in the field, which I can understand because it must be super difficult. I mean, this is really hard terrain, it's hard riding, it's high altitude, and everyone just looks to be having an absolute blast. You know, all the way. There's people doing it on fixed, right? Fixed speed bikes. Or single speed, fixed or single speed.
1: Oh, that's speed. too cool. I I can't lie. I have got to this point now. Yeah, where I I I put thirty four c tires on my on my bike, and I started going down all these little lanes and all these little trails, because I just sat there thinking, looking at all these pictures which everyone's putting on, thinking, I think I've missed something. I've been on the road for so long. Why haven't I thought about doing something like Italy Divide or? Or something like that so honestly i i have had a big some big thoughts about next year probably won't jump into the tour divide but i will look into doing some more off-roady stuff because i just think it's a little bit more safer looks more fun more technical you know you have to be a little bit more logistical so honestly it's all these races really opening up my eyes and i think james hayden's a good person that's come from road and gone into all this stuff and he just looks like he's enjoying it like ridiculously so honestly you'd have to worry about banned roads and all this and if there's going to be a dual, dual carriageway because the majority of it is you're going to be lucky to see a car so yeah so that's my thoughts did you
0: read, did, did you read james's blog post on uh highland way or sorry highland trail 550
1: i haven't yet is it good
0: Uh, read it it's fantastic because it's a very i mean you know someone who's come from winning uh, transcontinental he's been really honest in his blog about, about how he felt like a total beginner because he's on a mountain bike and you know going up the first climb and having to stop and get off and kind of apologize to people and wave them through and going into water crossings and crashing he he was really honest about how inexperienced he was and it, it just made for a very good read. So, yeah, go go and check out his uh his blog post. We'll put it in the show notes. A really good insight into making that transition from from road to to off-road. But yeah, I mean, look, Tour Divide this year is really is really caught my attention. Um I just need to talk to Josh when he gets back about the bears. That's the bit that freaks me out. <clears throat> i know i sent him a message saying good luck mate
1: i hope all's good you know but i didn't mention bears because i thought he doesn't really need to hear this the day before the race so i was like okay but yeah that's that's one thing that scares me but i'm at this point now where after doing the whole bikey man stuff with you last year i suddenly realized that look there's no point worrying about bears until there's one in front of you do you know what I mean? Like there's, that there, you can just you can think of a magnitude of problems in your head, but the amount of times that's actually going to happen to you, the percentage of chance is so low. It's like, oh, what if, what if my wheel falls off and hits a police car? You know, there is such a small chance of that happening, so there's no point worrying about it. And this is something you've installed into me, because before I'd be like, what if aliens come down, Neil? And then you're like, Rob, just just worry about it when it happens so I think I owe you a thanks for that one <laughs> but yeah anyway that is true though it's true is
0: this a reference to the dog incident again
1: yeah that's it like you are stop stressing about dogs and I'm like oh but Neil you know but I'm so tasty and they really like me and all this and then I'm at this point of where I'm just like and they bit you but I just sat there thinking well okay when there's a dog in front of you then just deal with it, just get off your bike and walk past, the dog isn't going to care if it starts chewing at your bag, like I've got a frame bag that I'm using at the minute and it's got massive dog bites in it and I sit there thinking do you know what even though it was attacking me while I was on the bike, it wasn't the worst thing in the world it wasn't the worst bike packing experience I've had and I thought look that was the worst case scenario and it happened and I still carried on and finished the race, it doesn't really matter you know, so no,
0: no, no. That that wasn't a worst case scenario, Robbie. That, uh, oh, no. The worst case scenario is <laughs> yes. the dog sinks its teeth into you, <laughs> and then you have to run around hospitals in Trujillo trying to find a rabies injection. Actually, yeah, I can't wait to do the Peru special. I can't. It's going to be great. But even that, you know, that that didn't really derail things. No, um, you
1: still smashed it. You just just for the record, for anyone listening, Neil was getting his jabs along the route while he was on the race. Like that is badass. That's badass so yeah so if you want to know someone who will not stop at any lengths it's Neil so yeah
0: well I had to I didn't want to I didn't want to kind of fall over dead from rabies but now for some reason you've you can talk to the dogs I can. I'm like the dog whisperer. <laughs> dog whisperer. Just, yeah. just bears. That's different level. Okay, that's different level of stuff. So Rolo, get him. I think as long as I can reassure myself that I, the bears are okay, then I, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to go and have a crack at Tour Divide for sure.
1: Looks yeah, amazing. I think we should talk to Josh and Sofiane, who, who really wants, who has expressed an interest in coming on and talking to us. And I'm a little bit nervous about this because I've just been following him for so long I feel like I've been stalking him slightly.
0: And you know we'll speak French.
1: Yeah, I know. So you'll be talking stuff about me and I'll be like, oh,
0: je suis en quoi. <laughs> Your French is really coming along, Robbie. I think you've been practising. <laughs> no. Anyway, no. enough talking about things we might do next year or in the future. Let's talk about what we are doing this year because okay we both have something really big coming up this year in six weeks yeah, yeah and we're both we're both doing the same thing and it's in six weeks and we are doing transcontinental number seven Woo. exciting i'm beyond excited
1: i know honestly i normally get nervous but like about races but this one i'm actually a little bit giddy for i'm like this is going to be so, so much fun. So, yeah.
0: I'm I'm here in the French Alps training and starting to look through the route and thinking through all of this kind of stuff about it. And I just, I'm getting so excited for the start. Mm, it's going to be a busy start. What is it? Two, two
1: three hundred people? Three hundred people? Two hundred and
0: sixty people. Anyway, I think we're jumping ahead of ourselves. So... For those of you who are listening who are like, what are they on about? What is the Transcontinental? Um, let's talk a little bit about what it is. So the Transcontinental is an annual self-supported ultra race uh, across Europe. And I think in certainly in my eyes and in most people's eyes, it's one of the big two alongside the Transamerica bike race. These are the two that, you know, everybody wants to take part in, everybody wants to do well in. Um, And, you know, they're certainly the ones that that bring that attention. And they bring that attention because, you know, they are amongst the most difficult without going insane or without being majorly off-road. Now, Transcontinental all started in 2013, um, and it was the brainchild of, of... english ultra racing legend mike hall um who sadly passed away following a collision on the 2017 uh indy pack race um but the transcontinental continues to be run in his memory um directed by his partner uh, anna haslock um so it's really trying to continue that uh, ethos that he had towards towards riding towards racing uh, towards exploration and you know it was very that the, the principle was very much around yes this is touring fast on your bike but it's about racing it's about giving that extra edge that a race brings to something like this now the route changes each year which is where this has a major difference to a lot of the other uh, races including uh, trans america so there is a there is a start point and a finish point there are four checkpoints in between and each checkpoint has uh what they call an associated parkour or mandatory section i.e there are stretches of the route which everybody has to do in the same way however outside of that the routing is up to the individual now trans america everybody follows the same route tour divide everybody follows the same route uh silk road mountain race everybody follows the same route so The fact that with TCR you have to do your own routing for me really makes it the most complete test of an ultra racer because it's more than just endurance of sleeping, of strategy, but also your navigation, your route planning, your ability to change, uh, you know, route planning, navigation, all that kind of stuff on the fly. Um, And that's, you know, one of the things that appeals to me now. This is going to be the 7th edition of the TCR. In 6 editions, there's only ever been 3 people that have won it. Uh, and that does really like a who's who of self-supported road racing, uh, ultra racing. Um, Christoph Alligator, uh who won the inaugural one, he's won it 3 times. Uh, James Hayden, who's the reigning champion, he's won it for the last 2 years. Uh, and then friend of the show, Josh, who we've just talked about in Tour Divide, uh, he's won it once back in uh, 2015. Um, so that gives you an overview of what the race is all about. But why are we doing it? Robbie, what's your motivation for doing Transcontinental number 7? So actually
1: I I was in Transcontinental number 5 and I think I just really got into you know riding long distance probably the year before and I just went straight for the toughest thing the Transcontinental and I I actually started number five and actually I'll I'll be brutally honest in saying like I won't really go into details too much about this but the day I was leaving the UK I had some some pretty bad personal news about a family member which was quite upsetting because um, I I knew they they weren't really going to be around for much longer unfortunately so I thought I would carry on to do the race and because I would knew kind of i would be back in time and things like that and mentally I, I really wasn't in it if that makes sense but take that aside I turned up at the start line I didn't prepare very well I started the race my route was terrible I didn't really feel confident or my training hadn't gone as well because I'd prioritized other things like you know, like like littler things in life over it, unfortunately. And I I got five days in, probably about no four days in, about eight hundred miles in. I'd been doing about two hundred miles a day, and then I was in Italy. Um, like I say, my route was completely different to everyone else's. I'd made some really bad calls. Mentally, I was just destroyed. And I just sat in a McDonald's. I rang my girlfriend at the time, and I cried my eyes out for a while. Then I rang my dad, and I had a, I had a really close call with a truck in Italy, which just scared the living crap out of me. And um, then I then I scratched actually. So for me, it's it's you know a lot of it's about going back to to right that wrong, if that makes sense. And as the more and more I've raced and done smaller races like biking Man O Man and slowly other things to build up and then race around Netherlands, you know, Inca Divide, all this. I've got all this experience now and I just want to go back to write that wrong in my head because there was a big list of things like the world record for the most country cycle in seven days that I kept failing and then I eventually went back and got it. I they were two things on my list. So this world record that I'll talk about another time And the Transcontinental were things that I said I've got to go back and do. I did the record last year, and this year was about going back and just completing the Transcontinental. And, yeah, so for me, I think that's probably the biggest reason why I'm going to do it. The second thing is, it's, like I say, it's natural progression from slowly building up my racing experience. This is one that I really want to do. And I just love the idea of... I I like the idea of the last few transcontinentals going east across Europe but this one going west really excited me and I just love the idea of the race and the ethos is great and there's nothing like being on the start line with another, I don't know, 250 people all absolutely bricking it for the next two, three weeks you're going to be riding a bike and it's just something really special and Anna's lovely and you, you can really feel like the you know Mike Hall's ethos in in everyone about racing and why he did it and why it became such a big thing so honestly for me it's it's about the experience of the race and you know just riding my bike lots but it's kind of about writing that wrong for me personally what
0: about you Neil? So I think there's something romantic about crossing Europe uh, regardless of the mode of transport, whether you're going by bike, car, motorbike, train, uh, you're going through such a diversity of uh, of countries and cultures. Um, I I mean, I toured across uh, Germany and then into Eastern Europe a couple of years ago with Laura. And uh, for someone of my age who grew up as the kind of the the wall came down and the Iron Curtain collapsed, it's quite cool to go to these countries that when I was kind of 11 or 12 were kind of no-go areas um and that kind of just expands the whole interest of crossing of crossing Europe um you know then when I got into ultra racing the TCR is the one that everyone thinks of you know I, I think it's the it is the pinnacle of our sport and it does test every element of being um a good ultra racer but I think you know more than that and I think just to pick up on some of the things that you've said there's a there's a, a sense about the TCR, um, a feeling about it, and that's something I'm really excited to be, or that I'm going to be part of. Like, I can't wait to be on the start line with 260 other people. It is going to be an amazing experience, and I can't wait to, even though we're riding by ourselves, I can't wait to kind of share that experience with everybody else, Um so, I, you know, I had thoughts in my mind last year. It had started to sow the seed of, you know, could I one day do TCR? Um, but I wanted to see how I did on, on the Inca Divide, which um, was going to be a lot longer than the kind of two-day races I'd been doing, um, in that it was going to be, you know, six, seven days. And, you know, it took me six days in the end, but I knew it was going to be very tough and very remote. Um, but, you know, the important question for me going into that race was, would I enjoy that level of racing over that many days. And and I came out of that going, yeah, I absolutely loved it. And so that gave me the confidence that yes, I could look ahead to TCR, which <clears throat> 10, 12, 14, however many days, that I could do that and enjoy it overall. Um, <clears throat> and then the change to the start and finish points, um, which you know we'll go into that in more detail in a bit. Uh, I think for me, that kind of leveled the playing field and made it new for everybody. Um I think previously everybody had got used to or the people who'd done the race two, three, four times, they all know how to route through Kosovo, through Albania, etc. And they they that's a big advantage. Whereas now with the route being completely flipped, um it kind of levels that playing field, which I thought was was quite cool to go and do it that way as my first one. Um and finally because I can at the moment, you know, I'm in a great position where you know, Laura is very, very understanding in terms of what 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 I do and and what this does for us. Um, and I've got the time to really, you know, focus and and train properly. I can work from wherever I am in the world, you know, which kind of is exactly what I'm doing now, being in the French Alps for three weeks training. So, yeah, the time's right. Um, so I, I, yeah, I'm I'm now just really excited. Can't wait to get these next three weeks of training done. And then and then get on to the start line.
1: Yeah, I think um it it's really interesting, especially for us to talk about this, because when you mention about, you know, Laura being, you know, very understanding about this, I think what's really nice is I think she just sees sees the journey and appreciates it. Does that make does that make sense? And it is so nice for you and your business, so if if you don't know this, if you haven't heard previous episodes Neil is a cycling coach is that what I would call you yeah yeah like a a cycling coach turned cycling and it's he's doing a lot of work with people that do ultras and things like this and it's one of these things that he's experienced quite a lot and he's going into one of the bigger the biggest races by far and that experience is so valuable for, for you and all your clients that's incredible for you to go and do that and like you say it's You you've got this lovely lifestyle where you where you can because it's a lot of time to take off of life. It's you know it's you need to make sure that you've got the bike, the experience. You know financially you're okay to do it that kind of thing. It's it's not something which you just jump on a bike and go. It's it takes so much time to put into and it's it's good that you know we or you especially can share that.
0: Yeah no it's it's definitely the you know the experience helps. Uh, I think ultra racing there's no. There's no manual for ultra racing. You can't pick a book off the shelf that says this is how you train for an ultra race. So you're kind of building on experience. Um and you know gaining that experience is something that really then helps me when I'm looking to advise my clients on how to to best prepare for their own um big undertakings. Um so yeah, so it's all good. Cool. Cool. So are you ready to talk about the route? <laughs> I think the question is, are you ready to talk about the route, Robbie? <laughs> no, I'm not ready to talk about the route.
1: Um, <laughs> so we did talk before we started recording today about the route, and I said, "Look, can you do that, Neil? Because I can't pronounce the names of places." And he said, "No, that's exactly why you're, you're doing it." You <laughs> know, I was like, "That's not even funny." So I'm going to talk about the route and Neil is going to correct me when I say things wrong because there's not even, like, a Google way of getting the pronunciations of these right. That's what annoys me. I can't even research it, yeah? So, the start is-
0: And and let's just say, there's no guarantee that I'm going to correct you correctly.
1: (laughs) I know, that's the worst thing. And do you know what? If you do know the correct pronunciation, please keep it to yourself you know I
0: mean, we don't yes want to be don't correct. point out how wrong <laughs> yeah, we are don't point it out so if there's if there's anybody listening from bulgaria please please we don't mean any offense by how we pronounce your uh monuments
1: yeah exactly like that's it like well actually yeah that that's it so just we don't mean offense by it But please
0: don't correct us. (laughs) We'll
1: be out of Bulgaria on the first day or two anyway. Yeah,
0: so just a quick one on kind of the history of the route, uh, because that gives context to the changes this year. Uh, The inaugural two, I think the first two editions ran from London to Istanbul, um, which I think that's a a classic, in my mind, that's a classic way of crossing the continent. You're going from, you know, this out, island outpost at the far edge of europe uh crossing all the way through continental europe and and ending at kind of the gateway to asia so you know that's 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 a really kind of inspiring take on crossing the continent um <clears throat> obviously there's challenges there with ferries and things like that so they moved to start to gerardsbergen uh home of the murder gerardsbergen so for those of you who know your uh spring classics road racing uh the Mürdergradsbergen Gerardsbergen is is beyond famous uh cobbled steep climb um <clears throat> that uh features on or featured on i think was it back this year for uh, the tour of flanders um, it was yeah. yeah yeah um and also appeared appears in some of the other uh, spring classics or flandrian spring classics so a very uh traditional or or a kind of doffing of the cap to some of cycling's traditions um later on they moved the start from istanbul because it was pretty dangerous going through istanbul uh, when you're kind of completely tired after nine days or 20 days or 40 days of racing your bike um they shifted the finish to Matoras in greece which gave a a, a safer finish point and that was the case up until last year and so this year they've decided to shake things up so robbie talk us through the start and finish points so instead of going from west to
1: east they're now going east to west which is is very exciting and they've actually come away from Greece and Istanbul here Uh, Greece and Istanbul? Greece and Turkey? yeah Greece and Turkey and they've started in Bulgaria so you start in Burgas on the Black Sea coast of Bulgaria did I say that right? I think so. Who knows? Yes, and you finish in Brest on the Atlantic coast of France. So if you don't know where that is, that's the most westernly point of France, which France is huge. So it's a big, long way across. And like you say, that's in honour of Paris, 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 which runs every four years, which a lot of people have gone to do, which is quite exciting. So there's four checkpoints altogether on the actual race. And the first one is the... Buzlodzhah monument, <laughs> yes, and that's in Bulgaria. So actually, what's interesting is I'm not sure of the figure, but that's not too far into the race. That's only a few hundred
0: kilometers, if I'm correct, into the actual race. I think it's like 250k into the race. I'm I'm going to give my. I think it's called the Buzlodzhah Monument. Yes. Yeah, that that sounds That's my a lot more take promising. On it. Than... <laughs> so, um, If someone could drop us a line from Bulgaria and let us know uh, how much we've kind of really ripped apart your language. Yep, we need a translator, please. And then, uh, so that the parkours.
1: So in TCR, what they have is parkours, and this means that you need to go to the checkpoint, but you need to go via a certain route. So they'll tell you which road they need to go by. And for example, this will be on the back roads uh, from the Balzora monument to the, <laughs> to the Balecmento or Archer Freedom Monument oh no that's the, just the different name so basically you have to go up a certain road which on this is actually quite a lot of gravel on some of these isn't it if i'm correct in saying
0: yeah not on cp1 the, the cp1 parkour is kind of tarmacked back roads uh between the two monuments
1: perfect absolutely ideal but that is the the parkour so the, between the two monuments the next checkpoint comes to us in serbia which is why have you got me pronouncing these? The because it's hilarious,
0: Robbie. It's so this funny.
1: This is the the Banja in Serbia. Vranskabanja. That's that that's that's very close to what I said, and it's almost identical. <laughs> and um, that parkour is eighty kilometres, so fifty miles in English money, of gravel, up to the summer
0: of Benza Um uh, I think that's Summit. <laughs> also correct in our show notes. Sorry. <laughs> the summer.
1: Um, Neil is super excited about this one. Why are you excited about this one?
0: Oh, 80 kilometres of gravel. It's going to be amazing. Oh, I thought that would be why you're excited. I cannot wait for this bit. I'm deliberately going wider on my tyres, so I can just rip this bit up and have a lot of fun. I just, I hope... And I've not figured out on my routing yet what time I'm likely to get here. I just hope I get there during the day, yeah, very good because I want to be able I want to be able to really hammer that section because i'm I'm really excited about it. so can I ask you something talking of tires and gravel
1: sections? What is your outlook on the rest of the race? Will you take some shortcuts which are gravel just due to the fact? You've got the tyres, or are you probably going to be sticking to the roads for the rest of it? Inside information, you heard it here first, Neil's Tactics.
0: I think if I saw an opportunity that I felt was faster, then I would take it. But I haven't looked at detail yet. Um, it has to be fairly significant shortcut, because I think on gravel, generally, you're going to be uh, two-thirds to half the speed, so... I'll, I'll think it through carefully and look at the timings and look at um, look at what I think before I make a decision. But yeah, I wouldn't. It, it certainly wouldn't stop me. I wouldn't go. Oh my god, no! I can't go over that gravel bit because that's the end of the world. Yeah, I'd be like, ooh, gravel, exciting.
1: Yeah, which is definitely in any kind of race like this, the attitude to have. Like you got to see the good side of everything, even though it's dusty. Just got to love it. So
0: yeah, I, I can't wait for the gravel um, I that's yeah. It's going to be one of my highlights I think.
1: I don't feel so bad about it now. But
0: it's it's what, well, you know, it's it's
1: probably about 4 or 5 hours worth of gravel riding. Roughly, 80K. yeah, probably.
0: Yeah. Um I need to look at how much climbing there is on there because it does go up to quite a high peak. So it it could be longer than that, you know, if if there's a lot of steep climbing. You could be riding at kind of 12k an hour so yeah it could be um it could be six seven hours could be walking
1: you never know i probably will be (laughs) so (laughs) so the next checkpoint paso gardenia
0: paso gardena
1: gardena okay the (laughs) otzil alps between italy and austria
0: (laughs) the urtztal alps
1: uh, still Alps, between Italy and Austria. And the parkours, so I'm just going through the notes, parkours Corvara. Did I say that with a good accent? Yeah, that's that's fairly close. Cool, nice. Passo Gardina, then down towards Bolanzo and finishing near the top of Timmeljok. <laughs> Interestingly, the actual checkpoint itself is halfway up
0: i uh i'm I'm excited about this section, so yeah it goes from corvara which um again I, I i really like the little kind of nods to uh cycling's history here so corvara is where the start of the maratona is um if anyone's if you've never done the maratona, then go and do it. It is without a doubt the best one day grand fondo stroke sportive that you can do in europe i absolutely love it. And that starts in Corvara, it goes round the Celeronda, down, and then up over the um Paso Jao, which is just brutal. Uh and then up the uh Falzarego uh and back down to Corvara. Uh it's a beautiful day. So yeah, so this parkour actually starts in Corvara and we actually come back up the Paso Gardena the other way, um, all the way down to Bolzano. Uh, and then, interestingly, the parkour finishes just before the top of the Timmelsjoch. Um, but then, in a in a move um, to, to kind of help promote safety, the checkpoint, uh, or the place where you have to get your card stamped, is actually in St Anton, which is about 60 kilometres further away up into Austria. Um, those of you who ski, St Anton is very famous for its après ski, so i who knows i may stop for a cheeky few pints in the moose of it uh, on my way through um that might help my riding a little bit um but what it does do is it it pushes us north um and away from the away from the italian plains um like the po valley is uh historically quite uh full of crazy italian drivers so this way we're actually Getting pushed way north into the Alps, which means we all we're all going to be staying in the Alps. I, d- I don't think anybody is going to be able to find a route that then brings them back down onto the flatlands. So most people are going to be routing through through the Valais and over into France. So uh, yeah, that's that's going to be quite quite tough. Yeah, I think um, I was looking at the route, and I did notice
1: some people talking about, oh, then you can come down into Italy here. So I've done the route from slovenia all the way across the flatlands under the alps to um so the splugen pass i've done it like three times and it is just it's quick there's not much wind it's it's really good there's places to stop and eat everywhere but the drivers are so terrible you know like i at one point did it at night and like, took as much darkness as I could for two reasons. One, high visibility stuff, a shed load of lights, and there'd be less traffic. But in rush hour, it's just torture. It's just awful, mate. In the nicest way of saying it, I am not going to route anywhere near it. I will be in the Alps, chilling out, going up mountains, and just enjoying all the scenery, not being chilling out with bad Italian drivers.
0: Yeah, we don't need that.
1: No we definitely do not, definitely do not, it's about this kind of racing, yeah it's about being quick and stuff like that, but it's about experience and going to cool places and just enjoying everything and sometimes that gets past people and I've heard the phrase you've got to take risks to win races, I'm like you know what, I'd rather just finish the race and have an awesome time than take the risk just to say that I was a few places higher if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so there's a saying that they used in round-the-world yacht racing, like the single-handed round-the-world yacht racing, um, which is, to finish first, first you must finish. Yes, yeah. If you agreed. don't finish, then mm-hmm. you ain't yeah. going to finish first.
1: Yeah. I th- I think you've said that saying to me before. Probably,
0: yeah. Any- yeah? Oh, you know, checkpoint- I, keep, I keep wheeling out the same old lines.
1: So, checkpoint four, checkpoint and the most exciting four.
0: one. Oh, yeah, will do as d'Huez, Alpe d'Huez um, H-
1: we love out tos i I claim to fame I've been up Al tos and I did it in December.
0: I know that's insane.
1: I know it was minus six minus eight at the top when I got there, and I got ten minutes before I came back down to get a train and was two days late for work and um honestly, it was the coldest i've I think I've ever been on a bike it was the most beautiful thing i've ever done if someone asked me to do it again i'll probably take thicker gloves but it was incredible it is so beautiful and everyone laughed at me like what are you doing cycling up here at this time of year and i was like i don't know myself but anyway it was just absolutely incredible
0: that's my experience. i don't i don't blame them i'd be laughing at you for riding up there at that time of year it's insane <laughs> i know people were skiing down alongside me i'm like oh hi you know how's things <laughs> you know like but yeah so
1: what's your experience about to
0: right but, but let's talk about the, let's talk about the parkour because the parkour here yeah again is is brilliant um so we start the parkour starts at valois which is actually at the top of the telegraph uh called telegraph climb uh out of the Modène valley and and we start there and then we go up and over the Galibier. um which will be uh, the souvenir Henri de Grange uh, of the race which I think is another great nod to to cycling's history. So um the Galibier was traditionally the highest point used in the Tour de France and uh, Henri de Grange who was the very first race director of the Tour, uh, he had a prize named after him which was the first uh, the first rider to go over the top of the Galibier. And if the Galibier is not used in the race, then it's the the first person to go over the highest coal on the race. So I think we're going over the Galibier, which is at 2,680 metres or something like that, so super high altitude. It's going to be, unless anyone's got some crazy routing that has them coming down and over the Stelvio, uh, then the Galibier is going to be the highest point of the race as well. So, um, yeah, fantastic. And, and also, you know, to looking at, other events in Europe, this is the course of the Marmotte. Uh, so, if anyone's done the Marmotte, then they'll know this climb well. Um, you know, you come up over the Galibier, down to the Lauteray, continue on the long, uh, fast descent uh, down the valley towards Bourg d'Oisin. I think we'll need to see if they've opened the road up again. So, like about four years ago, there was a big landslide which destroyed the road uh, kept it shut for a while. Um, f- I think for 2015 they had to redo the marmot route. Uh, for 2016 they had a route that went round the back of the uh, the lake at the barrage du Chambon. Um, so I'll be interested to see if that's actually been repaired that road yet. Anyway, cool. We come uh, down towards Bourg d'Oisans, but then in a particularly cruel twist of fate, uh, we actually turn right before the start of the traditional Alpe climb. And we go up the back roads and gravel tracks of the Gorge de Sarenne to get up to the top of Alpe d'Huez. Now that's going to be savage. Incredible. It's going to be amazing. That is
1: probably my the most exciting thing I'm looking forward to on the whole race, if I'm
0: brutally honest with you. I'm excited about it and fearful of it in equal measure.
1: It, yeah, no, it looks, it looks really good. It looks really, really... Really fun. And then after that, it seems that we have to get across France as quickly as possible to the finish, which looks fairly flat.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be fairly fat, flat. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, it's going to be um, pretty much whoever's the time trialist at the end of Alpe d'Huez will probably get to the finish, the finish first.
0: Well, I don't know. It obviously, there's a lot of factors, but yeah. But, but the parkour doesn't finish in Alpe d'Huez. We have to then descend down the 21 hairpin bends of the climb that the tour uses going up get to Borg that's where the checkpoint is to get your carne stamped and then we have to go up the Ornon and the the parkour finishes at the top of the cold Ornon nice so they're throwing some more climbing at you which is that's great a, that's a lot, that ah, is a lot of climbing have you, have you ever ridden up the Ornon it's beautiful no, climb I haven't. I've done it um, quite a few times I love it absolutely love it
1: nice Nice.
0: I, I used to live in I used to live in Grenoble, which is like the next big uh city after after Bourdoisin, so I kinda know the whole area quite well. It's gonna be awesome going back.
1: I'm quite jealous of you actually, having lived in these kind of places. Cause I just dream of like mountains like this. And living in Norfolk, there's not really many mountains where I am. <laughs> like so so it's kinda like I sit there thinking imagine if i had that on my doorstep i'd be like oh i'll just go up the mountain that'd be a nice ride up there descent down and then come down and have lunch ideal you know what i mean
0: yeah we were chatting yesterday on, on a on a video call i did show robbie the view out my window at the moment
1: <clears throat> oh, i put it on the instagram uh this morning it looks insane i know I'm i'm a little bit jealous and i think i think we're losing followers over your nice views
0: Oh really? Okay. Well, no I'm sorry. Kidding, I'm I, kidding. I, I just have, <laughs> no, not. at this point I do have to give a big shout out to my friend Sue, uh, who is lending me the flat that I'm in. So Sue, thank you. TCR will all be down to you. Yeah,
1: thank you, thank you, Sue. But you know I'm still going to be in. No, I'm
0: kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> sorry. Cool. So, anyway, yeah. So then and then we finish with a yeah, as you say, a flat time trial across France. Although I'm going to get you on the finish line in Brest and say how flat was that because it won't it can't be because we've got to get across the Massif Central. it's going to be loads of of rolling energy sapping terrain and i i think for me it's going to be who comes out of the mountains feeling the freshest yeah agreed because i think some people come out and and they'll be toast and that trek across france is just going to be so long and so painful um so I think yeah it's, it's whoever comes out feeling fresh and who can still you know keep the pressure on for the last what's probably going to be well certainly for the front runners two days across France
1: yeah yeah definitely definitely um I must say though like I think in my opinion and this probably stems from doing the race around Netherlands of one too much of one thing is not a good thing and I think the beauty of TCR and stuff is you've got all this climbing and you've got very mixed terrain. I found that if it's too flat or too hilly, it will just it can just have an extremity on you. Like I found being too flat that you weren't getting out your saddle enough. And it brought a whole new set of issues for me as, as a racer that thinking, oh god my knees are hurting a bit more, I just want to stand up and have a little bit of rhythm just to ease my back off a little bit, and these are things that, if I'm honest, I never really understood the extremities and I found that probably my most comfortable racing probably comes from rolling hills because it means you're changing position a lot and you're just using your muscles a little bit more kind of little bit more all-rounded, and I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I I struggle in sections if they are just brutal, giant climbs, like Inca Divide, or brutally flat, like the race around Netherlands.
0: Mate, I live in Dubai, and most of my riding is on pan-flat tracks through the desert. We get very used to continually being sat in one position, with no brake.
1: It's quite weird, and like, I... (laughs) I do quite a lot, obviously indoor, you know, like my indoor training where you're never off the gas and even the bikes I use, they're um they're fixed. So you, you're never stopping pedaling. You haven't got this kind of descent of letting your legs ease off or anything like that. And I think obviously that is the best way of training. But it just makes you think that, oh, actually, you know, those little breaks of having the odd downhill and then back up again. They For me, they make a really big difference, but it's the minute when you're saying, okay, you're going to be pedaling solidly for three hours, and even when you want to stop, that bike's still going to want you to keep going. That It's going to want to hold momentum. And that makes me ache. But maybe that's just me. But you'll have the same in Dubai, obviously. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. But no, we will see.
0: Okay, so I think one of the big... uh there's a lot of interesting kind of equipment choices that we need to make uh, going into TCR. Um, so, should we have a, a little bit of a chat about that? Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> so, yeah, that's
1: um, that's probably going to be a very, very beneficial talk to have, especially for anyone else doing TCR, which is listening. So, most important thing, you we've spoke about bikes and stuff like that. What bike are you using, Neil? And um, gearing, major choices.
0: Hi, I'm riding my Moot uh, route RSL. Um, in the normal configuration that it's in, as we talked about the other week, um, I will be riding my salt carbon gravel wheels. <clears throat> Two reasons. One, they're a really wide internal diameter, so I'll get more volume in my tyres, uh, which will be more comfortable. And they're also much lower um, profile. So I mean, I do have some 55mm wheels, but the last thing I want to do is get blown off my bike going through France. So the, the two, yeah, the two major choices then are, you know, what tires am I going to be on, and what gearing am I going to run? Um, I think the question around aero bars or not really is, it's an, it's a it's a no question. I think most people will be on aero bars, not for any sense of aerodynamics but just for uh different hand positions um you know you can take the stress through your skeletal system not your muscles and you can just maintain a comfortable position for longer so yeah t- interesting ones are tires and gearing well gearing is really an easy one i'm going about as low as i can possibly go without being ridiculous um so i'll be running for 42 front and then an 11 to 42 rear um I think if i were to go 38 on the front that would just be i would start to spin out a little bit too often um so but yeah 40 42 that gives me enough gearing to uh chug up the hills slowly without grinding a massive low gear um tires the you see the more i think about the tires the more i think i'm gonna go wider so are you tired of thinking about tires I'm tired, no I'm not tired of thinking about tyres I think it's really interesting um, <clears throat> everything you read all of, the, all of the scientific publications all of the investigations do show that wider tyres are faster um, I think there's a, I'm going to try and dig this out and link to it, I'm pretty sure it was Schwalbe who like their fastest tyre was like their 28mm uh, 1 Pro tubeless their second fastest tyre was their 60mm tyre Really? Yeah, yeah. You know, you speak to anybody who actually really knows what's going on here is that fatter tyres are faster, a lot faster. Um, The reason in the past we might not have seen that is because um, the thinner tyres were made of the very best construction, super supple, super low rolling resistance, whereas the fatter tyres were very heavy duty, touring tyres. If you get a really supple, lightweight, fat tyre, it's going to roll really quick.
1: I didn't actually think of that.
0: So so I will probably I'm on 32s at the moment and I don't think they're wide enough. I think I'm going to go with the 35 mm slicks. Nice. And and run those at about 55 psi because that's going to be just like really comfortable. And and I've got to think that the majority of the road surfaces are going to be really shit. Yeah. Especially the I mean I'm one. I'm here in the i'm here in the middle of the alps and the road surfaces here are pretty terrible you know you're getting bump- bumped and bounced around and and that's that's in france so yeah what are the roads going to be like in bulgaria and serbia and slovenia um they're going to be they're going to be rough so yeah 35s i think um and i've got my eye on the Panaracer gravel king slicks not the sks um and hopefully I can get them in either blue or orange with the tan walls, because then that will really match my bike.
1: I actually, <laughs> if it means anything, I think I know the distributor for Paneracer in the UK. Right, you clearly need to put in a word for me then, Robbie. Yeah, and it's interesting because he he was raving about them to me a couple of years ago. It's like, you're going to be on them eventually. And I was like, nope. But I'll, I'll, um, I'll drop you his email, actually.
0: Yeah, we, we we will be. We're, we're all going on to fatter and fatter tyres. I mean, you know, six years ago, tour riders would all be on 23mm. Now, nobody rides smaller than a 25. Um, some of the guys are racing 28. Uh, in Paris-Roubaix, Sagan was on 30. So, you know, as the aerodynamics get more and more optimised for wider tyres, pe- people are moving to wider tyres. Um, and you see it in... In frame design so the new uh, BMC endurance bike was released uh, yesterday I think and that's got space for 33 millimeter tires so you know people are slowly coming to the realization that yeah wider tires offer you so many more benefits uh, than narrow tires so yeah bring that on um, and I can't wait to ride some big fat 35 mil tires cool so what, what about you what where's your head at with both gearing and and tire sizes well,
1: I thought I had it all under control, and um <laughs> like which I never have like so recently i've I've made some big choices, like I was telling you last time, or a couple of like we spoke about our bikes a few episodes ago, and I was like, "Oh um, durace race wheels, this is this, but like a might, but okay, so the only thing that's really stayed the same is firstly the frame I'm going to use my Linsky GR270 titanium bike just awesome super comfortable just really like it Altegra gearing um, like I always seem to go th- so 5034 on the front 1134 on the back compact with the biggest cassette that is recommended to go on there ideal uh, my brakes disc mechanical which is I normally wouldn't mention brakes but I am going to go mechanical, but I do have the option, and this is something I was going to talk to you about because I know how proud you are of me The saying this, but my other Linsky, which is pretty much the same, has hydraulic brakes on, so I'm going to see how I feel on both, and yeah, I, I stepped out the box and the other one has hydraulic brakes on, so I'm going to see how I go with these mechanicals, but I am looking... Maybe using the hydraulics. If they are that much better, I'm just going to use hydraulics, I think. Because I'm looking at a lot of gravel. And the more off-road I seem to be doing on the bike, the more I realise that, oof, actually, hydraulic brakes would probably be a lot more beneficial. It's okay on the road using mechanical, but it really doesn't give you the same push as you would get on a, you know, on a hydraulic system.
0: So Yeah, you don't find mountain bikers using mechanical uh disc brakes they're all running hydraulic brakes and they have been for many many years um a question though on your gearing though do you think that's enough gearing um i think when i'm knackered probably not <laughs> but like i
1: think it's enough like i i think that i i will be seeing the small the big ring at the back and the small ring at the front on the big climbs and i you i would love to go to maybe a 36 on the back but realistically I'm going to probably do some go and find some really big hills like in the Lake District or Peak District at some point and just see how I get on with it. But I, I do want to open up the possibility
0: of having a 36 on the back if I'm brutally honest with you. Yeah, except Shimano don't make a 36. You could fit the new Shimano, <laughs> the Shimano Gravel. That's what uh, I'm thinking, yeah. <clears throat> Shimano Gravel or uh, GRX uh, yeah. front chain. Right?
1: So that, that's, that's kind 48,
0: of... 48, 31. That'll give you some more gearing.
1: Yeah, that that is my thought. So I I'm considering. Obviously, we spoke about it before. I'm like I'm a Shimano ambassador at the minute, so maybe of you know seeing if I can use the GRX instead. But honestly, the the big so the gearing I've been thinking about changing. The brakes I've been thinking about changing. I honestly was going to use my durace wheels which are a 40 mil profile and we spoke the other day and i said to you okay i think they've got 24 spokes for something such a long trip with so much gravel i'm thinking about using my xtr wheels so they are like cyclocross mountain bike gravel style wheels Um, originally made for mountain biking and they're 28 spoke instead so i actually think i'm going to use them instead so honestly mate i'd love to tell you that i know where i'm at with my setup but i really don't i'm all over the shop all i know is it's going to have wheels it's going to have gears and there should be a frame there as well but (laughs)
0: that's (laughs) a good start i think you've got the basics
1: ticked off there yeah but like honestly whatever i use uh, so I've gone from saying, "Oh, mechanical Neil, mechanical Neil." Now I'm like, oh, "Maybe hydraulic." Oh, I'm gonna use the race wheels. Oh, maybe mountain bike wheels. Oh, Neil, I'm gonna do this, and now I'm just—I keep changing my mind. And like, you wouldn't believe how many times over the past three weeks I've changed my bike packing bags back and forth to like old ones, new ones, colour schemes, light brackets. It's just got silly. Like, I—I I really have need to make a choice. But tyre-wise. WTB, WTB, um, I've been using the Exposure 30s for a long time and I was like, oh Neil, I'm probably gonna use 30s or 32s. I recently put on 34C exposures and I love them and I've decided they're probably, I'm 95% sure, they're gonna be the ones that I want to use. They've got a nice rolling strip in the center, they roll smooth, I've been training on them recently and I don't feel slow, I feel quick and I just really like them they've they've got some knobbly bits at the side i think they're perfect for what i want to do in my kind of riding but yeah that's the only thing i'm pretty much 100 on is the frame and the tires at the minute cool
0: okay so move, moving on from bikes i think the next big question is sleeping what are you going to take for sleeping equipment how is that dictated by your strategy uh you know where will you stay how will you stay what kit do you need so my plan is bivy one night hotel the next
1: bivy hotel bivy hotel and just work that way through the race unless the weather's really crap then i'll go into a hotel um i'm taking a bivy bag and a sleeping bag i'm not messing around with pillows or mats or anything like that i'm literally just taking a pillow bag <laughs> well, you know, some Do you think have...
0: anybody's going to turn up with pillows?
1: Yeah, have you not seen those little blow up pillows? No. <laughs> yeah. No. Someone, someone um, uh, I can't remember. I think it was the uh, Trans America Bike Race had like a blow up pillow. Oh, I'm so glad I brought my blow up pillow on one of the forums, and I was like,
0: <laughs> Crazy. "So um,
1: yeah." So um, honestly, just a bivvy bag and a sleeping bag, and the nights when I'm bivvying... Like, I will only plan a couple of hours' sleep, so I don't mind being a little bit uncomfortable because then it'll make me look forward to the next hotel on the next night. Uh, what about you?
0: Um, hotels all the way is the plan, that's that's the principle going into it. Um, I will take an emergency bivvy. Um, I've just picked up one actually the other day in Decathlon down in Borg, Saint Maurice. Um, it's like a really quite a small, uh, kind of vapor barrier bivy that I can actually get inside. It's a better than a plastic bag, but not quite a full bivy, but it just it just weighs nothing and takes up no space. That's there just in case I get caught out and I have to sleep. And then I'll just put all my clothes on. I'm not I'm not taking a sleeping bag. Um because then that means I don't need to take a front bag. So I'll just have a frame bag and a tail pack and that that should hopefully fit everything in. Nice.
1: Um okay, so on the back of that clothing
0: Yeah, um, not a lot is the answer, Um, but I do, you know, we talked about this and we talked about Corsica the other few episodes ago. Um, My big problem is getting cold. If you get cold, I'm then looking for reasons to stop. Yeah. If I can stay warm, then I can stay riding my bike. And I think that's a combination of staying warm, but also staying fairly dry. So, that, and that means making sure I'm getting in and out my kit appropriately. If it gets too hot, I take kit off so I'm not getting too sweaty. If it starts to rain, I put I put wet weather kit on early. Um, so, over and above normal cycling kit, which I would take, which would be like shorts, uh, shorts, arms, um, jersey. Um, <clears throat> I will take my, uh, I've got an insulated uh, Big Agnes Gillet. Uh, which is a fantastic bit of kit for staying warm um, because it works across a whole range of, of scenarios. Um, I'll then also stick. Uh, I've got a, a lightweight uh, synthetic um, thermal top which I'll put in long sleeve thermal top. That's the the aim with that is to keep it dry most of the time. So I won't be riding in that. I'll be, I'll put that on at the top of descents, ready for you know the long cold descents down. Uh, down into the valleys. Um I've got a, uh, a gore shaped dry waterproof top which they that's just amazing. I've oh, um, got one, too. they a- They're heaven, aren't they? Just heaven. Yeah, they're rain. just awesome. They take up no space, totally waterproof, brilliant. Um and then actually I'm following a tip from um Xavier Massar who we've we've raced with a couple of times. He's also doing TCR. Um I was looking at leg warmers and he said no I just use knee warmers and then some cheap waterproof running trousers um again from Decathlon. So I picked myself up a set of those the other day they were 30 quid and I've tried it out a few times and it's brilliant. Um the main reason being is that knee warmers are wearable for, again to a much greater range of of scenarios. So you can leave them on for longer because you don't get as hot. Um and then if it starts to rain I just pull on my waterproof trousers and then I stay nice and dry so i i tested this out on friday riding from uh haywards heath to wales and as you would expect as you got close to wales the rain got biblical and it was absolutely (laughs) hammering it down so it was a great a great chance to test out full wet weather kit so for a couple of hours i was riding along with with full kit on and and it was brilliant it worked really really well
1: yeah i must admit um I, I remember you mentioning this tip about the waterproof trousers. I am just having a look at it now, to be fair. That's quite cool. That's a really cool idea. Yeah.
0: I and, really like it. And then that. my final bit of kit, uh, which I've just um finalised. So I've been working with my uh my clothing sponsor, Mectrack Cycling. Um it's a company based out of the UAE. Um they work They're creating some really cutting edge uh, clothing, um, including, for those who've actually seen photos of my my turn cycling kit, um, they've got this process of adding small dots of reflective material or reflective coating to um, another colour material. So we've just created a, a gilet specifically for ultra racing where the whole back panel and side panels are fluorescent yellow, but they've been treated with this uh, this dot matrix of uh, reflective points. So during the daylight, it looks yellow, very visible. And then at nighttime on the lights, it looks like the whole back and side panel is lit up. Um, it's absolutely incredible. So um, I cannot wait to, to get that. We're, we're also looking at how we do it with socks as well. So um, I am going to be the coolest Christmas tree that you've seen riding around the roads of Bulgaria. Stay safe stay seen, stay alive, <laughs> like realistically,
1: so this kind of, like the, doing the race around Netherlands really opened up my head into why do I put myself into situations where I'm just cold and miserable and moaning about all these extremities and I always want to go super lightweight and I sit thinking, oh I won't need gloves this thick, oh I won't need overshoes so I've decided I'm going to wear my normal kit so obviously I use the S- s fire cycling range which is a shimano product and i really like it but it's really thin it's really racy and um, it's really light like the warmers are quite thin so instead of using those i'm going to use like Perlazumi, you know slightly thicker leg and arm warmers or maybe just knee warmers just off your recommendation then and then to make sure i don't get too uncomfortable i'm going to take some super thick gloves and some overshoes as well that's kind of the plan i always used to take a down jacket Never really use it, I might, I was thinking about using it, but I thought, do you know what? No, just take some really good warm cycling clothing to keep you warm while riding, instead of having to mess about trying to bodge things and buy women's gloves. So yeah, so my plan was just to go in really prepared with a really decent set of gloves, some overshoes. I've got a really good waterproof jacket. Just, I I wanna go a little bit more prepared to this, Neil. I know, like, I'm one of these people that tries to travel as light as possible, but I'm just fed up of being miserable in bad weather. And I seem to be a bit of a pansy in bad weather. I'm not very good at controlling the weather. It's, you know, controlling how I react to the weather. So I've just decided, you know what, Rob, just take the clothing take a little bit of extra weight if you don't use it and you're a couple of days away from you know like breston you know in france just you know bin it but just get some really decent stuff for once stop skimping on your kit you know it's a long ride i need to make sure i'm prepared and not deviating off to make sure i can buy extra clothes at the local decathlon do you know what i mean yeah good plan so yeah so that's my thought on kind of clothing and obviously high visibility stuff like although I you know I, I wear my S5 thing, which is quite a lot of its dark colours I've got some really cool kit with some you know really bright ends to the shorts and to the jersey and then I've got a really nice bright reflective you know gilet and all these little things like fluorescent gloves and fluorescent overshoes i've gone for as well you know you don't take chances full stop so that's kind of it uh lighting
0: yeah lots of it <clears throat> five lights plus a rear reflector
1: badass can i guess what you've got yes you may okay, <laughs> okay so two is it Lazine femo drives on the back of your chain stays? uh uh strip lights, the Lazine strip lights that's the one yeah the uh are they sixty lumens at I guess hundred and fifty ooh posh ones, and then um yeah, yeah, totally I'm guessing you're gonna put light on the back of your tail pack um
0: I'll, then... I'll put a reflector on the back of the tail light at uh, cool. back of my pack,
1: and then at the front you're gonna have an exposure product of some sort, maybe a
0: Diablo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exposure Diablo on the front
1: (laughs) And um, maybe an emergency front Or something like that But you're not going dyno You're going to use a four point Battery pack to charge
0: I love (laughs) you talking about technology Robbie Yeah I know It's so (laughs) within your comfort zone Um, Yeah I'm I'm running the exposure Diablo at the front But then I'm also running two more Lazine strip lights uh, at the front They're the 300 lumens uh, White lights And yeah, no, I'll, I no dynamo. Um, I've got a a, and we'll I think we'll do a more in-depth deep dive on lights and if I can get around to it, I'll do a video tomorrow or the day after. Um, on my light setup and my charging setup and and how that all works. Um, twenty thousand milliamp hour battery keeps me riding for sixty hours nonstop. Um, it's a forty-five watt power delivery charger, so it recharges in three hours. I don't see the point of dynamos unless you are going to be two three days bivying. if if you're going to be two or three days without even the opportunity of stopping to plug in then then yeah that makes sense but other than that um yeah i'm just going to go with power banks and and a 45 watt charger
1: yeah so i i think i've i've actually told you my lighting setup but i'm gonna let you try and guess it what do you think i'm gonna use
0: uh, you're gonna you, uh, predominantly cat eye because I know that they you're sponsored by cat eye, um, so you're gonna have those those little cat eye discs everywhere. <laughs> yes. That's now, question: correct. do those do they have any? Do they have a red reflective part in? They do. Yes. Do they? Yes, they do. They're amazing and they're so cheap. And on the
1: light blink, they last me. So they say in their technical jargon, thirty two hours. But mine normally last, providing. You look after them well. Mine normally lasts thirty-four hours of just being on constantly, which yeah, is good. which is very good. Knowing they weigh like something stupid, like twenty grams, thirty grams each. They weigh nothing.
0: I might have to borrow one of yours if it's if it's got that reflective bit built in as well, because you need a ref, you need a rear reflector.
1: Yeah, I had the same in Holland. So I used um, one for Holland and that had the reflector in so I was quite lucky on that. Like, I didn't have to screw a reflector in. Uh, yeah, they're really good. And then obviously the cat eye
0: lighting front. and So you've got a cat eye Volt 1200 on the front? No, 400. Right, okay, 400.
1: And I keep an 800 as spare but I can also use the battery as a power bank and then just a spare battery. And then I take a a spare power bank as well. And that's kind of me but I haven't got the capacity you've got I'm like 12000 milliamps if that you know so I can't last 60 hours I can probably only get 45 at a push you know and that that's kind of me
0: okay so that's uh that's covered off kind of some of our kit and equipment choices and bike choices um now I think two big questions in terms of preparation are around the physical preparation and and the route planning. Um, and I think we'll probably get to both of those in a lot more detail as we get closer to TCR. So we might, I think we will definitely do a a, a second TCR episode that looks more specifically at how we've been physically preparing and how we've been doing our route planning. Um, and
1: vi- video blogs too, Yay.
0: Yeah, we are going to launch the Neil and Robbie YouTube channel. It's part of our plan for global media domination isn't it yeah that's
1: it before we'll be famous with a a program on itv one day i'm sure
0: yeah but i think you know very quickly some some kind of observations from me on the on the physical preparation um especially kind of looking at this through my my lens as a coach um you know you always got to look at what are the demands of the of the race you're doing and how do you tailor your training to um Get you ready for those demands. And I think people either go too far one way or too far the other way when they're kind of training for things like this. You've got to prepare yourself for multiple long days on minimal sleep, which means massive base aerobic engine and ability to recover quickly. Um, Front runners are going to be riding anywhere between 16 and 18 hours a day and getting three to four hours of sleep. Um, Now, for me this means that you know efficiency uh, your ability to maintain your pace through the latter stages of the race that to me is more important than outright speed um you know having a having a high ftp is great but having a super high ftp is not that important for tcr but being able to ride at higher you know higher intensity you know higher wattages for longer periods of time is important you know if you can hold 60 70 percent of your ftp for longer periods of time that will keep you going faster than just being able to get out and smash 20 minutes um <clears throat> you know if you look at i think i was reading uh james's blog from last year he has this figure in his head of 23 kilometers an hour um as his average moving speed um during the day now if you're thinking well i'm going to ride for 18 hours 18 hours at 23k an hour is 414 kilometers a day and that's pr- that's pretty much race winning time so it's not about riding fast it's about riding long and it's about riding um minimizing that stopping time um but to the other extreme i see people going out and thinking well i've got to be doing 12 hour rides all the time i have going to be doing loads of 12 hour rides um but the problem is a 12 hour ride takes you a long time to recover from uh, and I actually think you can build up your body a lot better to cope with it by, you know, back to back five, six hour rides, you know, go out and ride five, six hours, sleep, get up the next day, go out and ride five, or six hours. Um, you know, then you're kind of building that up rather than just going, I'm going to do one big ride and then I can't ride for three days. Um, but don't neglect the intensity, keep some intensity there. It's not about smashing out a high FTP, but it's about being able to ride um, keep the pace going up a two or a three hour climb, so kind of that's what I'm doing a lot of here in the Alps um one hour climbs two hour climbs uh where I'm riding kind of you know tempo sweet spot um which will just help my body get used to uh keeping that pace up for longer periods cool cool um but we'll we'll dive into that in more detail at a at a later date uh and possibly when we've when I finish this stint in the Alps and I can talk in more detail about what's what's worked what's not worked how I'm feeling etc um, etc et so I can I can I be quite honest and say that
1: I don't really want to comment on this very much because I know the way I train sometimes isn't correct is that is that a nice thing to say because I have this habit of quite enjoying my bike and I'll i will do sessions on the indoor bike, two, three hours, maybe one, two, three hours, and then I I just love going out and doing these big, long rides. Sometimes I'll ride from Kingsland to Brighton and back. Sometimes I'll just go out for 12 hours, and scientifically, I don't really understand it, so I don't want to be the person going, oh, this is how I train, and I achieve this, because I don't believe I'm getting the best efficiency at what I do. And especially after talking to you about it, being a coach, I know it's not really the right way of going about it. I'm just one of these people that just enjoy sitting on a bike all day. That's the issue. So I don't really want to say to people, oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing one long ride a week and it lasts 40 hours, you know, because it's I don't want to mess up anyone's training, really, who takes advice from this. I think Neil's much more qualified to give that advice out because I am not you know in my opinion so my training is a little bit slapdash at times I seem to do short power rides then one big long ride a week but it could be a lot better and I the only reason I do it is because it's just something I've seemed to have slipped into doing that works with my schedule so I don't want people to take any advice on my part of it does that make sense Neil?
0: Yeah, but I think, you know, ultimately, I, I, I don't think there's there's not one right way. Um, there's, there's a right way for you as an individual. Um, and often that's what working with a coach helps is that the coach will help identify what works for you. You know, what is that combination of intensity and duration that gets the maximum adaptation for what you're achieving? I, I think what also a, a coach does is it stops you um, overtraining. One yes, of the biggest challenges yeah. is 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 stopping people overtraining. People, uh, I say this quite a lot. Harder doesn't always equal better. Harder, harder rarely equals better. It's about applying the right kind of load for the right kind of duration to get the right kind of um, overall uh, effect on your physiology. Um, so often, you know, someone just keeping an eye on what you're doing and making sure that you're not overtraining. Um, that you're not digging yourself into a hole that you can't get out of um is is really really good um but it, it's got to be what works for you and and what fits with both your lifestyle uh your work life balance but also what keeps you riding your bike that's one of the hardest things with training for something like TCR is maintaining that enthusiasm for riding your bike because it's really hard you know you you can easily go out you know i'm I'm riding twenty twenty five hours a week at the moment and I have to do things to keep it enjoyable to keep me enthusiastic for it to keep me motivated for it because the minute it becomes a drudgery is the minute that you start to not do what you want to do and not achieve what you want to achieve so you've got to got to keep it interesting and if that's what keeps it interesting for you then that's that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, I think um yeah, no I I guess I I do genuinely spend a lot of my time feeling lost and I think that's probably a common Thing with everyone when it comes to training and preparation, unless you're kind of like have a lot of experience in that field. Like I talk to you, and you're so confident about this is what I'm going to do, this is what's going to work. When I just seem to pansy around and not not really understand what I'm doing sometimes, but just love riding my bike and trying stuff. But I think that comes in time. So if you're quite new to ultra racing probably a good bit of advice is you know it, you're probably going to spend 90 percent of your time probably feeling pretty lost until you've done some big races and done some big rides and then the experience will really make you feel a lot more confident about what you're doing
0: yeah and and if in doubt get a coach um doesn't have to be me it could be anybody <laughs> no i mean you know if in doubt seek expert advice, uh, get guidance, because um, it is a minefield out there. Um, and you, it is very easy to kind of be overwhelmed by the enormity of the challenge. I mean, you say to anybody, you're gonna go and ride 4,000 kilometers across Europe in anywhere between you know 10 and 30 days, people like go, oh, I wouldn't even know where to start. So if if you are in that situation, then, then go and get some help, go and get some advice. Um, because that will just help you maximise the the time that you are training for. So, that aside, probably the most
1: daunting thing for people, route planning. Like, I have to mention this because I said earlier, I've planned some terrible routes before. Like, my last TCR route was awful. It was just, what was I even thinking? Like, I was so far off everyone else. It was just, it was stupid. Like, so so bad and like what you kind of need to be looking at is obviously you haven't got a route between the parkours but you know you have to think about flat versus hills you know avoiding towns and cities and people go oh yeah but don't i need you know to get into towns for accommodation yeah, to sleep and stuff like that. But there's a lot of hotels in the middle of nowhere, and this is something I used to do: go straight into a city when you don't need to be. But I used to get so scared of being out at night on my own, uh, in the wilderness. I'd be like, "Oh God!" Well, if I'm going through Switzerland, Zagreb at this time, it's going to be amazing because there'll be places to stop. It'll be there'll be lights there, there'll be population. When you need to, i always found I need to get my mindset round that. So for me the route planning I think is probably going to be the most challenging thing I think I'm probably technically probably the best uh, I've ever really kind of ridden I've got the best setup at the minute I've ever ridden I think the, the, the route planning will either make or break me, if I'm honest, Neil. And this is something that a lot of people feel really worried about. You look on the TCR Facebook page and all this kind of thing, and everyone's stressing about it, like, oh, what does this sign mean on this road? What does this? Because there is a lot of different languages as you, as you go across, and different signs meaning different things, different rules, different regulations. I think one thing I'm going to be doing a heck of a lot of over the next six weeks is sitting in front of a laptop and Google Street View.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, I think this is the biggest challenge of TCR, without a doubt. Um, you know, com- compared to getting physically fit, that's fairly straightforward compared to uh, to trying to navigate your way 4,000 kilometres across Europe. And especially, as you say, you know, languages being different, alphabets being different in some cases. Um Actually, Yeah. <laughs> It's true. Yeah, so, um, and, yeah, it's a big challenge. I, I've I've not really started that properly yet. I'm about to kind of get into it in the next couple of days. But I'm expecting to invest a lot of time in, in getting that routing as correct as I can get it. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, massively agreed. But that is something I'm bricking, actually. I, and the worst thing is, so... You know, we we have to be honest in saying this, this, Neil, but we're both going into TCR. We're not a pair. So, you know, they say this is a self-supported race and all this kind of thing. It's very difficult because even Anna put a comment on the TCR page earlier saying, look, we want people to make their own routes and do it and share concerns of safety, but this is a race and you have to understand that you your route should kind of be kept confidential. So it's not like I'm gonna to go to Neil and go, Oh, can you can you check my route and everything like this? You have to we have to abide to the rules. Although we're close friends and things like that and we can talk about how we're getting ready and stuff like this, we obviously have to have a lot of respect for the race we're going into.
0: Yeah, totally. Um I yeah, the the route is it has to be an individual thing. Um because for me it's it is an integral part of the race um your your race is not just about how fast you ride your bike it's about how well you can construct a route um and your route is your route and my route is my route you know they they are very individual and separate things um like you know as we said at the beginning of the show that for me is one of the things that makes this such a special race yeah
1: well there we go if i if i'm honest i think from my side of things as well that i wouldn't really feel satisfied in completing the the transcontinental without doing everything myself and doing the route myself and stuff like this and i've never even for a second thought of is there an easier way to get this route planned i've always sat there thinking it it's part of the journey is planning sitting at home planning your route doing the training it's not just about those 12 13 days it's it's all about the the you know the whole journey of, from the start of when you first sign up to all the way through
0: to when you get to the end absolutely and then on to the on to the finishers party in Brest on the is it the 10th yeah 10th of August that's the one just out of curiosity how are you getting home after Are you flying
1: or are you getting a lift
0: oh i've no idea
1: i was um i was considering uh, just an idea um, my my dad might be around I was going to ask him to maybe pick me up and thinking if we drive back to the UK on the ferry if you wanted a lift, actually interesting thought but I thought I'd just chuck that in there on the podcast, just just you Neil not,
0: not everyone listening <laughs> Robbie is going to take me home
1: yeah but I just thought it'd be nice for us to do it that way instead of having to pack and fly and all that stuff when we we're actually very close to being home
0: yes, that would be awesome
1: cool yeah no we'll be absolutely out.
0: great a bit closer time right well that is the transcontinental that is i think that's given everyone a pretty good overview of what we're about to undertake yeah
1: i i well i think even more interesting for the people that are doing it as well i i hope that we offer you some kind of you know some kind of information that will actually help you plan and help you get into it so that is yeah that is the ttr and
0: that is very exciting totally and if anybody has any questions obviously not direct questions on how do i get from here to here but um anyone anyone got any questions leave them in uh leave them in the comments on the website comments on the facebook page comments on instagram uh let us know what your questions are and we can come back to those in in future episodes cool sounds good no
1: stress so i guess we'll um see you next week
0: Yeah, thanks Robbie, and see you next week.